brought to you by Elevate Uplift. You're listening to Rooted in Healing. I'm your host, Meg Sunga. What is organizational identity? Well, during the course of the Sadie Project, Sadie Sites realized they weren't all that clear on what that meant. This brings us to our next key Sadie lesson. To be truly effective, programs must have a clear organizational identity as a provider of services for survivors of sexual violence. On today's episode, we're chatting with Taylor Teichman, Youth Development Coordinator for the Pennsylvania Education for Children and Youth Experiencing Homelessness Initiative, and a former technical assistant for the Sadie Project. Taylor, welcome to Rooted in Healing. We're so excited to have you. Before we get into traditional questions and everything, I wanted to give you the opportunity to share any identities that you might have, um, titles, lived experiences, and then kind of dig into how you got involved in the Sadie Project, um, because you're one of the begin like you were there from the beginning <laughs> so just kind of wanted to to start there yeah oh my gosh that's such a good question and actually as i was thinking too i was like wait before we're about to talk about organizational identity i should share a little bit of my identity first because that's part of organizational uh identity uh so i i can start with my identity you know kind of sharing some of that now and then i'll uh i can go back in time a little bit and share that history with coming to the cd project so I am currently, I am a first time toddler mama to a two-year-old son. So that in and of itself uh, is uh, an adventure and a journey that looks different literally every single day. Um, mm-hmm. And as someone who is typically a very type A routine oriented individual, <laughs> it is definitely uh helping me to practice letting go uh, a little mm. bit more than what I've ever been used to. So, um, and I'm also a fur baby mama. I uh, have a six-year-old fur baby. His name's Merlin. And I just, he brings me so much joy every day. And he's a herding dog. So kind of love that. Uh, I feel my personality reflects very much so on uh, his personality. So, <laughs> uh, and then I'm also, I am a partner and wife to my husband. We've been together for over 12 years, married for almost nine, which is really hard to Congrats. fathom. Thanks. Mm-hmm. We actually got married while I was uh, working on the CD project and with NSVRC. So kind of also just a, a fun reflection and kind of a, yeah, it's kind of incredible that it's been for as long as it has been. I'm also a first-generation college graduate, which I tend to sometimes forget about. And I'm a survivor as well. So, you know, that is that has been a part of my identity for a very, very long time. And so that maybe kind of beautifully kind of comes into uh, your initial question, Meg, around how I kind of even found my way to the Sadie Project, which um, I graduated from Millersville University in... Uh, kind of the, I guess, south, um, kind of like the southeastern portion of Pennsylvania is where Millersville University is located. 
moved back home with my parents after graduating and was kind of like, what am I doing with my life? I was looking for work and kind of the work found me. I initially thought like I was going to be in public relations, working mm. in music because I loved music or being in New York City because I loved New York City uh, and like mm -hmm. kind of thought, you know, I'm going to head into more of a city life and do something. And really, the like I said, the work found me. Um, our local sexual violence, domestic violence program that served two counties was looking for an education advocate. So I was like, I, I can do that. Uh, and so went in, uh, applied for the job. And that's kind of what really started my some of my very early on work in domestic violence and sexual violence work. Um, and through that process kind of helped me to even identify my, uh, some of my very early on survivorship that I didn't even necessarily um, recognize or acknowledge at the time. Um, all of that to say, I was then in that work for about two and a half years and was kind of ready to, you know, kind of move on from there and try something new. I tried a little stint outside of the nonprofit world a little bit. It wasn't for me in healthcare. Mm -hmm. And I realized very early on, like, this is so not for me. And I was really craving work that was feeding my soul and that, you know, was also very healing. And so I yeah. stumbled upon the National Sexual Violence Resource Center and interviewed with Sally Lasky, who is one of the, you know, original founders of the Sadie Project, along with Kat Fridley yeah. and RSP. So uh, Sally uh, hired me and I, I joined NSVRC and she had shared uh, a little bit about the Sadie Project as I joined on board. Wasn't necessarily realizing how very involved I would become in the project, but I very <laughs> realized, you know, this was really kind of some of my very core work that I would be a part of. And then yeah. incredibly that work sustained throughout my entire uh, time with NSVRC in a multitude of ways. What's been shown in the show is how people get in to the work and get into mm. working with domestic violence or sexual violences. And a lot of the times it's, you know, we have stories as survivors or, you know, mm. we find ourselves in these opportunities to continue serving individuals um, like us. And, you know, you found yourself with a beautiful opportunity and you kind of just went with it. <laughs> you know, you're like, let's go. And I think that's really beautiful. And, and you, developed really great relationships with people and and you were at the forefront of you know the start of a really important uh project so we're going to get into it but thank you for sharing all of the context right i think that's so important as we recognize that you know when i got introduced to the sadie project for me it was like a a giant document uh report <laughs> that i was reading and trying to understand um, but as I'm talking to the people and it, it humanizes the work mm -hmm. even more to, to understand the personal connections that y'all have with, with the project, with the community organizations that were involved with really everything. So that's, it's exciting for me. Taylor, how does something like Sadie help foster organizational identity for groups who are, you know, unsure of their own? 
Yeah, that's such a good question. And it's also such a layered and like messy question that doesn't necessarily have like a clear and concise like guide or step to it. But I think one of the biggest things is that, you know, the Sadie Project really kind of compelled not only our project sites, but all of us organizations that were, you know, a part of the Sadie to and and I don't think this is a really a surprise necessarily to anyone, but at the time it it was that it really compelled us to like slow down tremendously. Um, I, I feel like I can't emphasize that enough that it it kind of like shattered our world to kind of be like, wait, yeah. we have to like back it up and like way back it up and get curious, like get curious. Um, I feel like we were all operating at that point out of such that, right? Like we live in the social construct where it's like hustle, bustle. This uh-huh. is how we've been doing things for so long without getting curious and asking questions about why things were being done the way that they were doing. And even something as very, you know, kind of on the surface level of like, as an example, thinking or not questioning, like, wait, why are we using, and this is even from my personal experience when I was at a local center, like, why are we using intake forms or, you know, doing X, Y, and Z this way that clearly like was done in like the eighties and we're still doing it this way. Like how, you know, how have we not paused up to this point? And it's because of just being, I think, in just this world of like, you just kind of put your head down and you keep going. And so then that, you know, was kind of making us wonder like, well, of course then, you know, survivors coming to us are all looking the same, you know, kind of that same survivor that you see come through your door every day. And that clearly, you know, that's one very, you know, small pocket of survivors. And it, I, I just, I feel like that slowing down was such a, a critical step for us to realize, Hey, we have to like more critically look at ourselves, but also do that with gentleness and grace, which is extremely hard, right? Like to like, you know, kind of go inward and, you know, kind of be critical of what we were doing because it's clearly not uh, working, but how yeah. then do we also give enough space to, again, give that grace for it? Um, because I feel like we're not taught anywhere how to do that from the time we're little till we get, you know, to whatever age it is that we're at. We're never really taught how to be gentle, how to move through the world with some grace and curiosity. And so that was huge. And so it also kind of, uh, it felt a little bit like we were wandering um, through a jungle or we were on a safari or like stuck in the middle of the ocean in a way, right? Like you can't see beneath the water. So you're half out of it, you're half in it, but oh my God, you're terrified of what could possibly be swimming underneath you, but you don't know. Um, And so I guess all of that or that, you know, kind of cheesy metaphor to say like, if we just, you know, stuck our heads under the water for a minute, we might actually be surprised at what we uncover and how, you know, beautiful things look if we're brave enough to go there. 
And so I think that organizational identity piece feels a lot like that. Knowing you have to be really willing to get extremely soaked at times, messy, lost, um, before you can really find your way to that aha moment. But I think that's also really the beautiful thing about discovering identity. And when you're doing that as an organization, you're doing that as a as an individual within that organization, but you're doing that as a team member within that organization. And then you have, right, that's creating your own community within that organization that then is within the community that you're serving. And then I feel like as, you know, you're willing to kind of stick your head under the water, right? Uh, That other folks are going to be curious and be like, well, you're sticking your head under the water. Okay. I think I can stick my head under the water. And so it kind of brings us together in that way that we can begin to move alongside each other and really kind Mm -hmm. of see what those services can look like and be so that they are more meaningful for survivors. But it's kind of taking that brave that brave duck under the water, I guess. I feel like I'm stuck on the water metaphor now. So <laughs> no, <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> it's a good one. I feel like water is both like, you know, it's it's um, the way that you've used it in the metaphor now, but also like when we talk about organizations, like feeling like we're drowning, <laughs> like yes. we don't oh have the gosh, support right? and the services. Mm-hmm. And yes. You know, we're just dealing with a lot as an organization or it could also be healing, right? It could be that refreshing moment of like, ah, oh, we're like finally out of it. So I think the water metaphor is, is a very good one. Um, and it does bring me to kind of my next question because it's as Sadie is, you know, going to all these different project sites and talking to different community members all across from what from what I remember is everywhere, right? You weren't just siloed into one city or one state. You guys went out. Yeah, yeah. you were all over. <laughs> I, I think something that you know you you mentioned is you you have to be brave enough to to get a little messy. And I think one of the things that y'all found when talking to these different providers is in these organizations is that you know there's there were communities that were being left out or there are people that were not being served um, at the best of their ability. There was a lot of bias in, in these organizations. And, you know, we have to acknowledge it. <laughs> we have to own it. We have to just call ourselves in on it. Um, and, you know, I, I guess the question for for you, Taylor, is just kind of how did Sadie help those organizations call themselves in? I again, I think it goes back to a little bit of being that willing to get curious about um, mm-hmm. who we are as individuals. So I think you know that was one of the the key pieces was that we have to be willing to look at ourselves as individuals within that organization, and then. Uh, look at who we are and how that parallels with who we are then as that organizational community um, and how that then reflects to survivors and the services. And I think being um, when we are able to do that individually and then as an individual and as a collective in the organization, I think that becomes really if we're able to do that, that reflects to survivors and our services that they can also be curious 
that they can ebb and flow and that we're going to show up transparently and we're going to be there to intentionally ebb and flow right alongside them and be totally transparent about that. Um, And, you know, kind of one of the things you were also mentioning that I thought a lot about when I, and, you know, this kind of even goes into that history piece of when I, you know, first came to NSVRC and started this work too, on a very like personal example, I can share that, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I started this work in Sadie and kind of realized like, oh shit, like I, I got to work some stuff out. Like I need to, to do some major unlearning myself, um, and, and kind of understand and unpack my whiteness, my privilege and find ways that I can move over and get out of the way and also bring that into my organization and into the work, um, with all of our organizations that we're partnering on the Sadie and try and reflect that with the project sites we were, um, working with as well. And so, you know, and that's a very personal example. So I don't want to speak to everyone as a whole, um, throughout the project, but, um, you know, I think that's just kind of a brief kind of surface example of kind of how that even helped, you know, kind of recenter me and then recenter mm-hmm. like how I came to the work every day and how I, you know, thought about the work every day and how, you know, I tried to advocate um, within the organization. And, uh, you know, as we were doing this work with project sites, like how um, that is part of the work and how we better serve um, survivors, you know, much more reflectively than than has ever quite honestly been happening before. No, I love that. I love that you have to be introspective for yourself in order to then, ha- like, how do you do it at an organizational level, right? Like, it has mm-hmm. to be both of those things. And, you know, if the if the big thing that Sadie was finding out and understanding more and more is that like organizations, regardless if they are, you know, community specific serving, meaning like if they're Asian identifying specific serving, if they're um, indigenous, if they are um, Latinx, black, there's bias everywhere. And there's so much that needs to be acknowledged and recognized on an individual level first so that we can uplift and support everybody and recognizing who are the communities that aren't being as uplifted and supported. Um, And a lot of times it's like, it's like you said, like, I thought I was doing, I thought I was doing great work. You know, you're kind of going through the motions, you're, you're doing what you need to do. And, and not to take away from that, but then when you step back and take that pause, you realize, oh, wow, like there are some gaps and there is some bias and there is, you know, like, wow, we don't have policies in place for, you know, this and this, like, and I, and I think I want listeners to understand, like, wherever you are in your organization, you know, whether you're brand new or if you're, you, you know, your organization's a bajillion years old, you know, like however long you've been doing it, it's that there's never, um, there's always, it's always a good time to take a pause and to, to figure out if you are on track in, yeah. in serving. And I would say too, even right, like, cause even as I feel like we're talking now and my brain is kind of thinking of some other things, like even when we think about like organizational identity, right. And I know mm-hmm. we're talking a little bit, you know, around like 
organizational assessments and community needs assessments. Like those, those words in and of themselves are so uh, white speak plan, uh, mainstream yep. that like, I don't, I, I hope that listeners also take away from this, that like, even as we're having this conversation today, like th- Yes, there are tools out there and there are great resources for how you can kind of, you know, dig deeper into your organizational identity and dig deeper into your communities. But it's also those things are all wonderful and out there. And even through Sadie, you know, we we put some of those tools out there. But that like I don't want folks to get like stuck in those the definition mm-hmm. of those or what those what those even mean i you know identity definition wise like that can look like yeah. and you know it can literally look like anything and everything and that's kind of i think the beauty of kind of what you know Sadie might have unpacked as well is that like we don't have that's part of this like we we need to do we need to do things differently cuz clearly what we've been doing isn't working so those the ways in which we explore and and we do get curious about what that means within our organizations, like that can, you know, look however you really want it to look. And that's kind of the beautiful Ooh. thing about what also then creates a community around it and it and brings in new relationships and new ways of thinking and looking at things is that if we really kind of literally take every, everything we've done and, you know, kind of like toss it out the window and start from scratch and do things differently, think creatively, you know, it doesn't have to fit any type of anything. It just needs to fit and work for your work, your organization, your community. And I also right. say that recognizing that that's easier said than done. Um, and that's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be a lot of like, you're going to take one step forward and then like 10 steps back. Um, but I, I would hope that maybe, I would hope that maybe that encourages some listeners to think like, make it yours. Like, so yeah, I just, I guess I just want to, you know, kind of uplift that as well. That like, as we're talking and using some of these terms that they're so, not even, I feel like we need new terms for these terms. Yes. I've always come into spaces and I, and, and this is from, you know, the nonprofit lens, this is from, I used to work in education. These are all the different industries that I've worked in, but like, there are just some terms that just feel so inaccessible, inaccessible. That's, I can't speak, but like, you know, they feel, uh, just, I don't know. And I, and this is as a person of color. I'm like, uh, I need it in a more tangible way. Like it just feels sterile. It doesn't feel good. And um, and I think sometimes when we talk about like assessment and data, it does feel, and I'm just going to say it, it feels so white. <laughs> it feels so mm-hmm. like this doesn't, how does this even apply to me? Like, I don't know. And yeah. so I think we are at a, at a, we are tasked to figuring out how to make sure that assessments and data and and you know providing all of these tools and resources are accessible and intersectional and truly capturing um, everything as inclusive as possible and 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 being as inclusive um, with all of the different communities and all the different types of people as possible. Yeah, I would absolutely encourage like, what does it feel like, and kind of tapping into those more human without getting like woo-woo, but I, I am a woo-woo yeah. person. So, but like tapping, <laughs> yeah. tapping into like, like getting back to like 
almost that like humanitarianism, right? Like if that's a word, I don't know if that's a word or if I just made that up, but (laughs) kind of going back to our soul, like get, getting in there, like getting back to like those, you know, in our souls tapping into what does it, what can that all truly like feel like versus, you know, like on paper, what does this look like kind of thing. Um, But that's really hard for a lot of people because we haven't been, you know, in in our white mainstream things of mainstream way of doing things, like we've really been taught to do everything without that connection and without the feeling piece. Um, And so, yeah, like getting back into that. And I really truly believe in, in that, you know, that's part of how we obviously connect as humans, but can, you know, continue to build relationships and, and do things from a place of being a human versus these robots that it sometimes feels like we've become at times, but um, yeah. And, and incorporating, incorporating all the things we can to help us get back to that. Yes. Like I, I understand that there are certain things that require certain methods. Like I get that. But at the end of the day, like we're, we're serving real humans with real lives and, and real emotions and feelings and trauma and, you know, all kinds of things. And we ourselves are also those people <laughs> like time and time again, you know? And, and I think that we can't, we can't separate it all the time. And, and, you know, boundaries are healthy. I'm always about boundaries, but like, I don't want to be a robot when serving a real human. Like I want to be able to meet them where they're at and be able to actually feel and, and, and sit with them in whatever they're going through um, before I just, you know, check off boxes. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It absolutely does. You know, and it kind of makes me think like it is kind of in some ways so interesting that we've, you know, up and for so long, you know, we were doing things in such a like kind of that more structured routine way when like as humans, we literally all have different stories and experiences literally every single day. And so then when we have survivors who are coming to us, like there is no like structured thing per se, because literally every single survivor we see, that is a different experience. That is a different story. And so how can we be more present to that than getting caught up in all the, right, all the structured things we've been kind of taught or tasked to do. Um, Right. And so, you know, and, and I think that still ties very much into, you know, as we talk about, you know, organizational identity, like how then as an organization, can we make that the norm? Taylor, we are wrapping up our episode and you've let the listeners in on some really lovely moments. So I'm just so grateful for you um, and your authenticity and your kindness to be on this episode with me. Um, But we always like to wrap up each episode um, with a little advice for our listeners because we are rooted in healing. Um, We want to know from you to our listeners Taylor, what keeps you rooted in this work? You know, I'm going to say, especially now, and this is coming from my uh, toddler mama identity at this point, but I would say uh, young people uh, in general keep me kind of 
grounded uh, in this work and bring me and bring me a lot of hope. I, again, I see, you know, my two year old son um, just has me every day uh, reminding me of how important it is to unlearn and learn and be mindful um, and really be, you know, connected and right. Sometimes it's way harder than others, but um, to really be connected to myself and not get disconnected. And so I would say all of that um, really keeps me, keeps me rooted and grounded in this work. Um, And, and even though I have in some ways stepped stepped a little bit further away you know the work that I'm doing now is still so very um so very you know still connected to that work and so um yeah even though I I've just taken a a little uh hop over to the other side um but but yeah I would say that you know that connectedness keeps me grounded You've been listening to Rooted in Healing with me, Meg Sunga. My guest this week was Taylor Teichman. The Rooted in Healing podcast is an Elevate Uplift production. It is hosted by Meg Sunga and produced by Idea Pig Productions. Show notes, research, and copy editing by Mary Taylor Coley. Mixing by Dustin Ramsdell. Special thanks to Elevate Uplift and our partners, the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition, the National Organization of Asian Pacific Islanders Ending Sexual Violence, the National Sexual Violence Resource Center, and the Resource Sharing Project. Stay rooted and follow us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. For transcripts, show notes, and additional resources, head to elevateuplift.org.